You're listening to the Substandard Model. I, as a member of Parliament, with nine others, visited Buchenwald concentration camp. Some people believe that the reports of what happened there are exaggerated. No words could exaggerate. We saw and we know. We were able to speak freely with internees and to hear their stories. You will now see a few of the sights we saw, and much as they may shock you, do believe me when I tell you that the reality was indescribably worse than these pictures. You cannot photograph suffering, only its results. In pictures you have no smell of disease and death. Here you see no more than a fragment of the full pattern of horror. Dead and the living dead. Once they were busy, happy, healthy, as you and I. They studied, were engineers, musicians and doctors. With my own eyes, I saw scores of these living skeletons. Let no one say these things were never real. Today we examine how the extremes of human despicableness can not only snuff out and destroy an entire generation of people, but also, unfortunately, lead to long-term consequences in future generations. Extreme trauma will obviously change you as a person. We are interested to find just how deep that runs. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. The, the idea I had that made this fact was basically, are phobias, is your fear of the dark, is your ick with feet, right? Is your fear <laughs> of, like, particular, I don't know, specific circumstances or whatever, right? Are those actually secretly in some weird twisted way? Because, you know, reality is stranger than fiction. Is it all a result of some trauma that our ancestors have sustained that has resulted in an epigenetic <laughs> characteristic being passed down? Like your ancestor, I don't know, someone forced their foot in your ancestor's mouth and that left a permanent scar. And then when they had children, their children were now just, for some reason, really averse to feet. Or really into feet. <laughs> That's a story for another day. I'm curious to see where you're going with this. Okay, so people thought about this. There was a study done on the American Civil War and um, survivors of concentration camps within the American Civil War. Because the concentration camps they had there got really bad at one point, and people, the description they used here was, they, they had such a high concentration in them that people had only enough room for a grave, right? for themselves right so this is a very traumatic experience and they found the people men who were in these concentration camps their sons they had an 11 percent higher mortality rate than people who were not sons of pow or, or concentration camps people i'll say that again the sons of people okay. from these concentration camps had 11 percent higher mortality than the sons of people who were not from these concentration camps there's a lot of variables at play there right yeah 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 you go, maybe the guys in the concentration camp, maybe they were just so depressed and PTSD that they abused their children and the children then got really depressed and then it was more suicide and more stress in their lives. And then 
you know, the car crash was just, you know, maybe it's a statistical coincidence based off social events as opposed to something epigenetic. But these researchers, they drew a line under that saying, if that were the case, then the percentage difference would be significantly smaller than 11%. They would find perhaps a 4% increase in mortality rate, but 11% is a really significant increase. They also found that this excess mortality rate for these children of these POWs versus these non-POWs, it was mainly due to higher rates of cerebral hemorrhage, so brain bleeding. They were also slightly more likely to die from cancer. Weirdly, though, this is the bit that's going to make you really interested, Sam. The daughters of these POW people, or the people, or the men who were in these concentration camps, appeared to be immune to these effects. So the daughters experienced an equal mortality rate as the uh, non-POW sons, but the POW sons experienced 11% higher mortality rate than the non-POW sons. Shit, that's wild. And what's great about that is because we all know that women are XX chromosomes, but men are Ah, XY. And these POW camps are exclusively men because of gender rules back in the day and women can't fight in wars. So these Y chromosomes potentially have been affected. They've not passed down to their daughters, but they have passed down to their sons. Uh, have we done epigenetics before? Sam, you know quite a lot about epigenetics. Epigenetics is the... Well, it means it means on top of the genome. You know, It's the way that the expression of uh, your, your genome is controlled by factors not contained within the transcriptome of that genome. Right. So, like, it's like the sort of things that tell the cell which genes to express. A 2015 study found that the children of survivors of the Holocaust also had epigenetic changes to a gene that was linked with their levels of cortisol, a hormone involved in the stress response. Like, a lot of people had quite a negative feedback to this paper on the Holocaust children, because it was only like 40 children that they did it on. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't have a big control, and you know the percentage change wasn't like super, super significant. And you could make an argument that there was just like coincidentally an above average group or whatever, right? And it doesn't, right. it doesn't mean there's a strong link between the parents and like their traumatic experience in the concentration camps and the fact that the children now have a, a higher level of cortisol and a stress yeah, reducing yeah, yeah. hormone, right? So that's not fully scientific paper. The problem with doing these studies on humans is that you can't really control a human's life because these are such these things these things are like what is traumatic? What affects your gene transcription? That's all entirely lifestyle dependent, right? You right, need to right, watch right. someone day in, day out for all eighty years of their life to be certain that it's something that they did that caused whatever you're seeing, right? Right. But what if we had a fully scientific paper with a large group and with a more simple organism that we could control the variables better? Unlike, you know, humans, unlike humans, we, we can sort of monitor mice at all times, right? Because a human, you have to eventually let them out of the lab to experience their lives. Otherwise, it's inhumane or something rubbish like that, right? So what they did was they ran a chemical called acetophenone, which is basically the cherry blossom smell. They'd get mice in, this, in the cages and they'd pump acetophenone through the bars. And so the mice would smell the cherry blossom smell. And then simultaneously, they do an electric shock to the feet of the mice. And it's sort of like the dog pressing the bell thing, where it's like, if you press the bell, you get a snack, right? Right, right, right. So the dog then associates the snack with the press of the bell, right? Right. 
or right. or whatever, right? And so now these mice are now associating the smell of acetophena and the smell of ches- cherry blossom with pain, with with a shock on the foot. So there's a negative okay. association there. They took the children of the mice, they pumped the smell in. They didn't zap the children. They found that the children of the mice who were getting zapped were more sensitive to the smell of acetophenone um, than the control children who had no parents who'd been zapped while cherry blossom had been there. Right. What they were keen to point out here was it's not about the fact that your ancestors have feared something and then you fear it. Interestingly, it's that your ancestors feared something and then you become more sensitive to it. You become better at picking up on it, better at noticing it, right? Yeah. And the control group, which yeah. sort of leans into the genetic side of things because it's like you're building a stronger ability to pick up on the danger around you, right? Yeah. It's amazing that it happens over one generation. I mean, the, a lot of the problems with these studies is that they, they end up with a mixture between genetics and psychology because like, if it increases your susceptibility to something – like it increases your ability to produce cortisol. Sure, that can manifest itself in so many things. That could be like an addictive personality, or anxiety disorder, or like also like um, aggression, or all sorts of things that don't seem like they're the same thing, but they end up carrying through generations, and it's the same genetic effect. Like a lot uh-huh. of the times, these effects are by definition weak, and that means that you can never get a reliable enough signal to be able to be sure they exist, right? I can talk about like the genetic mechanism of epigenetic inheritance, but I assume you have more studies. The mice one is, that is a famous one. What, of, of epigenetics in mice or the cherry blossom one specifically? Well, I think that's the, that's the first time they proved epigenetic inheritance in mammals. And they've done it since with rats. The mo- that's mostly been to do with parenting techniques. Uh-huh. So we've, we, we have to learn that kind of study. We also have to learn um, in like the, the there's a, there's been studies where they get like for example rat mothers to parent their children with different techniques. So they they like uh, let's say a rat mother licks its child like thirty times or whatever, like grooms their child for an hour versus a rat mother who doesn't groom their child at all and gives it zero attention. The child of that rat will groom its children in a similar way that their mum groomed it. And mm-hmm. groom their children in the same way they groomed it. And it used to be thought this is just like a learned behavior, right? Right. Actually, during the very formative years of the rats, they the develop rats epigenetic life, traits. They, they they are locking in their epigenetic epigenetic traits that will will last for a lifetime. Uh-huh. Interestingly, they swapped out the 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 pups of the mice who had been traumatized by the cherry blossom. Mm-hmm. They swapped them out with mice who'd not been traumatized by the cherry blossoms they were getting raised by untraumatized mice right the children of the traumatized mice were getting raised by untraumatized mice and there was no difference between them um and the other results so basically they were still sensitive to cherry blossom smell despite being raised by a different mouse yes yeah i mean that that, that that's those kind of studies were what like triggered people to realize that it wasn't just about it wasn't just about nurture it's this is like people used to put the dichotomy between nature and nurture but it epigenetics is exactly both of them yeah it's nurture that leads to something that that is nature right like it's you you can swap the children around sure like like once you've locked in this ability to like let's say not be able to produce serotonin as much it doesn't matter what your circumstances are it doesn't matter about your it's not even about psychology at that point at that point it becomes genetic it becomes nature and that's been proposed to like even like humans in like poverty cycles and stuff Right. If you're exposed to the same stressful stimuli at a similar point in your early development, that could lead to like a certain set of characteristics which can keep you in that cycle. 
how solid, how concrete is this, right? If I finish off the mice thing, please. So they went in, they were like, fuck it, we're going to look at the genes now. We're going to look yeah. at epigenetic, we're going to look nice. at the DNA, right? They found chemical markers on the DNA of the traumatized mice, which led to extra encoding of a, a, a smell receptor in the nose. And then when they dissected the traumatized mice, they found a greater number of neurons in the nose that ch- detect the specific cherry blossom sp- scent as opposed to ones who don't. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you might go, okay, well, maybe they've just spent their whole life smelling this cherry blossom scent. So they've just developed an ability to smell it better because maybe it means mm-hmm. something. But then you can also say, well, okay, well, they spent their whole life smelling cheese or food or whatever. And we don't see an increase in that. So there's, there's something related to the fact that the scent is associated with trauma. Yes. The reason, the way that this gets a little more complicated, which I think you're about to get to, is the fact that there are lots of different modes of epigenetics, right? Right. Ma- mainly there's methylation and then there's Yeah, I'm about modes. to mention that, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so one of the reasons that there's like an argument against this being epigenetics is is there's like when you when you reproduce at the very yeah, the start wife, of a gamete barrier, growing, wife, you get yeah. DNA methylation, which sort of wipes clean all of the epigenetics that the parents has experienced throughout their life cycle. So you can kind of like anything negative that the parents develop throughout their life cycle. I, I assume that's the reason it does it, right? Mm. Like if your dad becomes really like freaked out by PTSD and he becomes a struggling person, right? Um, right. then 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 that doesn't immediately get passed down to the child like the child gets a second run at life right basically the the argument they make against that is that not everything gets wiped clean some mm. of the things that don't get wiped clean there's a process called genomic imprinting protect uh so the uh, genomic imprinting yes. right uh, which protects against methylation in points of the genome um yep. but they they say that these places where genomic Im- uh, imprinting happens are not the places where epigenetic changes are relevant to trauma are found. So then, then they thought maybe it could be RNA. And then they started injecting strands of RNA into gametes just after they'd come together, right? They take the RNA from the traumatized mouse sperm, mm-hmm. right? Then they'd inject this RNA strand. They'd inject it into a zygote of completely untraumatized mice DNA, right? Right, right. Both right. parents are untraumatized in that zygote, right? But they'd inject the RNA from a traumatized mouse. And then they found um, that the symptoms of this injected RNA was the same as the ones who were born of the traumatized mouse. Right. So the right, injection right, right. of this RNA has made the mice traumatized mice. So they think that, that that somehow it's stored inside of the RNA. There's a epigenetic trait that comes from trauma um, that gets passed down through the Y chromosome from these male mice into their kids. Yeah, I mean this is super significant because, like, although we've proven it for mice, and to prove it for humans would mean if you beat your kids or if your granddad beat your dad, right? Right genetically you've been affected by that think about that if you meet someone whose parents are dodgy (laughs) like they're genetically related to the personality of their parent i guess because of trauma they've experienced that they sort of have a they mutually take the hit it also means like damn you know there's people who are like god this is world such a horrible world i don't know if i want to bring children into it because i don't know because they've had a real rough life yeah Yeah, yeah. that argument well it's like this kind of adds to that argument of saying like yeah if you've had a real rough time then maybe your children would just have a rough time out of the out of the womb but 
but it, I want to be really clear that from what they've seen with this, it's not past trauma leads to future phobias like I initially started this with. It's that past trauma leads to current sensitivity, which kind of makes sense in a sort of evolutionary adaptation point of view, because that means that if, if something goes wrong in a previous generation, something horrible happens, very rapidly you've got a. It's kind of an adaptation, isn't it? You've got a way for mice to start smelling cherry blossom so they don't get zapped, right? Yeah. So there are plenty of reasons why you would want epigenetics to be passed on and plenty of reasons why you wouldn't. So um, most, of, most of the body works in terms of sensitivity, right? Like that's not a surprise. Modulation is kind of the name of the game when it comes to how, how we react to situations. Like adrenaline makes us really happy, but it also makes us really angry. You know, the, the, the genetics controls more hormones we secrete, but it's our brain, our limbic system and, and the circumstances that really dictate what emotions those directly lead to. So uh, obviously, like if someone's exposed to a huge amount of excitement in their life, like I don't know if you're like a race car driver or like yeah. some really thrilling job, like yeah, that could lead to future trauma. Right. Like if you're if your cells are good at secreting adrenaline, regardless of the context, that 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 means what that means and that can be applied to different circumstances that can lead to anxiety disorder but again it's not as cut and dry in this because like the thing with this is a really disjointed area of research right now in the sense that we're constantly proving inheritance mechanisms for different epigenetic effects in different things in different contexts uh-huh. and there's not really a unifying idea of of how it happens it's just sort of referencing different studies where we know it happens so we do know that the histone code which is the way in which the proteins that package our DNA, they get marked with these special chemical markers. And that tells the, the proteins that, that, that end up making DNA into RNA, you know, that the initiation complexes, that tells the proteins where to start. Right. You, can bi- you can bias the initiation complexes to, to go to certain parts of the genome. And that means those parts of the genomes are the bit that's going to get turned into to protein much more, much more quickly and much more effectively, right? And the way that you can you can control that is by marking the histones. And these histone markers, once they get disassembled, because the histones get completely broken apart when you go from the somatic cell line to the germ line, which is, that that's, that's called the Weissman barrier, right? The Weissman barrier is going from diploid to haploid, going from, from regular cells to sperm cells. That's when traditionally, the traditional view is nothing epigenetic can happen because we, we lose all the information. Yeah. What there is evidence of is that there's a, the special markers in the histones can kind of survive this process. And then to a certain extent, when they're being rebuilt in the new organism, they can kind of reorganize to a similar structure that they were in before they were broken apart. Right. So they have some kind of memory. And it's that that that's that's the process you were referencing when you said um, what you, that, that was what the study was talking about. It, it's like the histone code has an ability to partly rebuild itself in the image of its former, its, its ancestor cell. And there's yeah. also evidence generally that there's a lot of epigenetic control going on through that, throughout fertilization and development. So the whole development is controlled by epigenetics, right? Like your right. hox genes, the reason that your head is your head and your, your legs are your legs. That's all epigenetics. And your sperm cells or egg cells have a huge degree of microRNAs in them, which are another mode of epigenetic control. Um, they're, more, they're more for the fine-tuning rather than for the big-picture stuff, but there's still epigenetics, right? So there's a lot of epigenetics happening at this, this point in your life. And now, dear reader, you might think, oh, shit. 
<laughs> my dad or my granddad or my mum or my or me and my children or whatever, right? It's right. all fucked. We're all fucked, right? Because everything that I did that's bad in my life might come back to haunt me for everything my granddad did, etc. Right? Okay, sure. Yeah. But there is a silver lining. There is a you know, there's the light in the end of the tunnel, right? And the light at the end of the tunnel is what if you unlearn the trauma? What if you get therapy? What if you smell the acetophenone and the cherry blossom and don't get shocked on the foot after years of being shocked on the foot, right? So right. they did a they did a study with the mice again. It's the same uh-huh. study, same guy. He's just learning all about it, right? And he he had a group of mice who he spent ages shocking, found the genetic thing in their sperm. Uh-huh. Then he spent ages putting the nice cherry blossom smell into their noses, right? Giving them the smell right. without giving them a foot shock, right? Okay. Um, it's not that the mice forgets. It's, it's just that a new association is being formed with the odor. And luckily, when he looked at the sperm, the sperm had lost its characteristic fearful epigenetic signature after the desensitization ah. process. So it means that the generation of mice after them don't have the heightened sensitivity to that scent anymore. Huh. So the mice oh, remembers right. being shocked. Like uh-huh. it's in its brain. It knows, oh God, this is a bit bad. But because of the experience of it not being bad for so long, somehow it's whatever was in the epigenetics, the histone proteins, the RNA, whatever, right? Yeah. Whatever was holding that memory of pain unravels itself, releases that trauma into the world, and then the genes don't carry over to the children, and the children have no sensitivity towards the trauma. Which means it's malleable. Which the means genetic mechanism of, of um exposure yeah. therapy. Which means the world famous, you know, I guess example of, you know, people who beat their children, the children become serial killers and bad people too, or whatever, right? I mean, like it's a hundred percent hit rate with serial killers that they were beat as children or abused in some way, pretty much. Uh-huh. It's weird if they're not. If they're not, then they're just unlucky on the psycho, you know, psychopathy. Psychopath. Yeah. yeah. Like they've just got something mentally wrong with them at that point. Um, but, but, but most of the people who are made are made by abuse. But, but you can, if you have been abused, unlearn it and then your epigenetics no longer represent it. And then generations in the future can live as we all should in a, in a, in an abuse free world. Oh. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I knew you could really unlearn those things. Well, that, I mean, it's not confirmed, feels... is it? It's just a study. No, no, but study. you know, there's a lot. It's it, this is one of the biggest areas of research, particularly in genetics at the moment. So, you know, the, everything's just a study. Well, that was posted on BBC, so it's got to be a pretty well peer-reviewed study, can't, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm. 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 I'm fully on board with that. That was nice. I'm glad that we 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 got down to the epigenetics eventually. Like I think I think this this podcast has been going on for a long time. Yeah. My dad today. My dad came up to me and was like, "Oh, I listened to the Life Scientific recently, and I had no idea about all this epigenetics shit." And I was like, "How? Why do you not know this?" And he was like, "We weren't taught it at school. Like this is a recent thing. Yeah. My, like epigenetics was just not really acknowledged or taught by, by anyone." like older than the age of 30 or 40. This is really a new thing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's like a thing that stays from your parents, but isn't genes. 
People it's just really go, weird. it's either nature or nurture. And if it's nature, it's genes. And if it's nurture, it's not related to biology, right? Yeah, it undermines the scientific dogma of genes nature make proteins make you. Yeah, well, yeah, that as well. Yeah. You're listening to The Substandard Model. 